Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Crystal Knight and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. Before we get into today's conversation, I want to take a moment, pause and reflect on another school shooting that happened in America. On Monday, there was a school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee, at a Christian school, a 28-year-old transgender woman killed six people before she was killed herself by police. I've addressed school shootings before. They're sad. There's no amount of words that I could ever say to really capture my feelings about school shootings and about gun control in this country. But what I will say is that America has a problem and our elected members of Congress do not care. If they cared, they would act. And their failure to act is why we continue to have school shootings. It is one of the most frustrating occurrences that has become so regular in this country that I almost feel like I'm becoming desensitized. That's not something that should ever happen. None of us should ever become desensitized to any type of killings, any type of crime, because we have legislators that we've elected to represent the body of this country, to create policy that will stop school shootings and will curb crime in general. But one of the things that I'm most struck by is that U.S. Representative Tim Burchett, who represents Nashville, he represents this district where this school shooting happened. He gave an interview the day of the shooting, the afternoon of the shooting on the steps of the Capitol. And he said that there's no way to stop it. Very matter of fact, there's no way to stop this because if a shooter or killer wants to kill, he or she will. And for me, that was hard to listen to. It was hard to watch. It was very callous and it felt like he didn't give a F-U-C-K. And I wonder when our elected officials will wake up. I wonder when they will give a F-U-C-K about What is happening in this country? We've had Sandy Hook. We've had Uvalde. Now we have Covenant in Nashville. And I'm sure that there are others that I'm missing. But the point here is this should not be something that we just say another shooting happened today. Our elected officials should care enough to create policy that would make it harder to access guns, that would make it harder to access bullets, that would make it harder to even get a permit in the states where you have to get a permit. And Tennessee is a permitless state, thanks to Governor Bill Lee when he took office. But ultimately, we have to do something. Children are being killed and there's no recourse. And so as we enter into another day, another week, I hope that we are all thinking about 
how can we continue to put pressure on our elected officials at every level so that he or she or they can trickle up to our federal elected officials to act, to do something. This has to stop. This week's guest is Malik Abdul. He is a radio host and GOP strategist. Welcome to the show, Malik. Thank you for joining me. As I apologize, as I lean over trying to make sure my laptop is plugged up <laughs> so, so it won't go off. Okay. Okay. Well, I you're the first Republican guest, identified at least, okay. let me say that, that I've had on the show. So thank you for cracking open the ceiling for GOP speakers, guests, hosts, all the things. I definitely want folks to know that this isn't just a democratically focused podcast. Um, I do care about all the perspectives. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. And really, I want to begin with what's the obvious, right? Um, Trump is under a lot of investigation across the country in a number of different states. But the case that I really want to focus on right now is this case in New York. He stated that he would be arrested. He has not been arrested. I've said this before. I really do feel like Trump is the catch me if you can of politics. So many people have cases out against this man and nothing is sticking. What's up with that? I mean, the latest case obviously is about Stormy Daniels, hush money that allegedly was paid to her ahead of his election in 2016. It also involves um, his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, who served time. So there's a lot of things about it. I mean, obviously, Cohen and Stormy Daniels are saying that is true. But again, will the charges stick? Will Trump actually be indicted? And even if he is indicted, will he serve jail time? Can you give us your take and just the latest? So by most accounts, it doesn't seem as if Donald Trump will face any prosecution from this. The question is whether or not Alvin Braggs, the DA in New York, what he was essentially trying to do was turn a misdemeanor into a felony conviction. And so many people have said on both sides of the aisle that that makes it very difficult because the um, Federal Elections Commission is important for people to understand this about the actual case. The FEC, which is the Federal Election Commission, which governs basically elections, you know, they any fraud or any type of things that happen. The FEC is the government agency that goes after you mm -hmm. for that. If mm -hmm. there's any type of violation, mm -hmm. well, the FEC declined to prosecute, to, to actually um, go forth and um, try to, um, well, the FEC failed to prosecute the case. And they don't have a prosecutor. So another word that I'm looking for, I can't remember, but they chose not to because they did not see anything there. Um, so they didn't go after Donald Trump. Alvin Braggs's predecessor also did not choose to prosecute the case. So this is what Alvin Braggs did. And Alvin Braggs did run on. He was going to go after Trump. So the case, as I said, is a misdemeanor. The idea of putting money or, um, um, you know, paying money. In this case, the allegation is, is that they're paying money for to basically keep Stormy Daniels quiet. Right. Um, and that is an FEC violation if mm -hmm. something like that occurred. Um, right now, we, we just have the allegations. And Cohen himself 
doesn't necessarily make the best witness. There was a Constellato or whatever the guy's name, I can't remember, who came out and basically he was working with um, Cohen for quite some time. He was one of Cohen's lawyers, I believe. And he came out and um, basically refuted um, most everything that Cohen himself was said. And so this was said under oath. Uh, I think the reason that we don't yet see any type of movement is simply because of um, the questions about the case itself and whether or not he can go forward. Just last week, there were reports that within the DA's office, in Braggs' office itself, mm-hmm. that there were people questioning whether or not this was a case they could actually prosecute. And if that is the case, you can imagine that that explains why it went from Trump was going to be, it was going to be Monday, then it was going to be Tuesday, right. all of these things that it was supposed to be, and it never happened. So the only uh, reasonable explanation why he hasn't moved forward at this point is that he doesn't have enough there to go after Trump. If that happens, then that will, you can be rest assured that Donald Trump will use this as another example of the political witch hunt against him and against <laughs> the world. And, right. and in many ways, Alvin Braggs would have played into that, mm-hmm. even in the response from Democrats on this, they would have played into that. And so Trump will be able to cast himself if they went after me. Imagine what but they'll the, do. Well, here's the thing, though, Malik. No one said that Donald Trump was going to be arrested. But Donald Trump, he's the one who put this out on Truth Social declaring a specific date. He did not declare a specific time. And so he essentially garnered all of this media by saying, I'm about to be arrested. All of my supporters, people who, um, you know, want to see me back in office, you should riot. You should go out into the streets of New York and riot. And so I don't understand the narrative that this is a democratic thing. I think this is something that, you know, we, the public knows that this case is going on. It's being litigated. You know, there's a grand jury, but that's all that we know right now. Donald Trump is the one who has kind of pushed it to the next level saying that he's going to be arrested. And then when he's not, I mean, obviously there are plenty of people, even we're having a conversation about it right now because it's news and because it's something that's part of Donald Trump's playbook, you know, is to put something out and maybe I'm not calling it false because I'm not saying that he won't ever be arrested, but put something out that sparks emotions, um, political theater, and really the media tends to have a play day with it. And then we're right back here, you know, where nothing has happened. And now you're saying that the charges may not even stick. But one of the things that you said at the top of your comments, you said at minimum, there's a misdemeanor. And even at the misdemeanor level, there's evidence, obviously, of something that was done wrong or something that was done improper. Again, we're all, we're always speaking alleged. It was alleged that he you know, paid Stormy Daniels off. And if that is true, that still is something that's something that can still stick. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things on the notion of the timing. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look, it was NBC News who on Friday they cited five sources close to the investigation that there was pending arrest or indictment, I'm sorry, of Donald Trump. So NBC News released this on Friday. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump's um, comments actually happened on Saturday. So Mm -hmm. this was after the NBC News first reported about the pending indictment. But indictment Um, is, is different than saying I'm going to be arrested. 
Well, well, sure. But I'm saying that the seed was planted by NBC News. And of course, Donald Trump operating in the state of chaos that he often does. (laughs) um, That is the goal of Mm -hmm. Donald Trump. He is in there to mix it up, to, you know, gaslight you and all of those things. That is what Donald Trump does. He thrives off of that chaos. Mm -hmm. We saw in 2016, he wiped the floor with about, what, 14 other candidates by being chaotic, being unpredictable. Right. Little, Little Marco, Low energy jab. He <laughs> talked about Ted Cruz's wife on stage. Yes. This is the same person. So, yes, this is Donald Trump's playbook. And that's why I was saying the notion that people are playing into Donald Trump's playbook. If if you know you don't have a case here and most people seem to on both sides seem to agree that he doesn't have a case on the idea of a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Those misdemeanors are fines. What Trump did, he and this is a matter of how he listed it on the form, mm-hmm. whether or not it was a you know a legal fee versus something else. But even paying people off, that's not illegal in and of itself, unless it was in, in commission of a crime. That's different. And also another thing that Braggs did, and what people are criticizing on the misdemeanor charge, to say that you're going to go after someone for a misdemeanor charge, mm-hmm. and then because of New York law, then try to massage that into a felony. So you start at a misdemeanor, and then you try to massage it as a felony. That's what's having people kind of looking a little sideways, like, well, I just don't know about this. And you hear people now on both sides They say this is something that will ultimately help Donald Trump because you turn him into a martyr. Like, I think the case in Georgia, even though I'm not convinced that uh, they'll be able to convict Donald Trump, even of the case in Georgia, there's at least more there Mm -hmm. in Georgia than what we're talking about here in the case of paying Bob somebody that he slept, that he, you know, had an affair with. Allegedly. Allegedly. uh, Allegedly. Right. Right. Allegedly had a, an affair with. I think mm-hmm. even most people, you know, I, I've talked to, you know, many people, most of most people I know are Democrats anyway, but they are like, wait a minute, this is the one that they're going to hang him on. And for Donald Trump's purposes, we've seen this type of iterate. We've seen iterations of this. Mm-hmm. There was the Russia collusion narrative where you had people all over the airwaves talking about he committed treason just in Ju- what July, August of last year. Mm-hmm. You had people talking about that Donald Trump had government secrets among the documents that <laughs> when the you know they paraded him, it's like they go. That's why we call it Trump derangement syndrome, because they go (laughs) so far in the criticism that you end up looking like that Donald Trump ends up looking like a martyr and able to play in that. And I'm not sure why people don't recognize game in that way, especially Mm -hmm. with him. Well, that's true. I mean, I think that the Georgia charges seem to be much more serious and even just salacious in that there's evidence. We've all heard the videotapes of him asking, I think it was Raffersberger, if I'm saying his name right, to find extra votes, which is clearly illegal. Is it illegal to pay someone off? Maybe, maybe not, right? I guess that's subjective. But I think, is it illegal to to pay someone off so that you can win an election or whatever the circumstances surrounding that? I think that's that's the part of the New York case that is probably hard to justify or hard to prove, 
that yeah. the money was intended to be in support of his election effort. But in Georgia, it's pretty cut and dry. He, he made a phone call. He asked a question. He felt like the results of the state should be overturned so that they would be in his favor. Listen, I tend to agree that the Georgia case is stronger. I also totally understand your point that Donald Trump has a tried and true playbook and media is always thirsty for theater. And Mm -hmm. so media continues to play into his narrative because ultimately and unfortunately he's good for ratings. That's something that's been proven, tried and true. He's made careers because of the foolishness (laughs) of who he is and his his running for office and and ultimately becoming president and then losing reelection. Um but you know you said something earlier as well just about you know his 2016 race and that there were 14 other candidates. You brought up a number of candidates that ultimately he succeeded over. What do you think about the 2024 race that is it's next year? I mean Donald Trump has already announced that he plans to run for reelection. And we know that Ron DeSantis is running, the governor of Florida. We know that Nikki Haley is running from South Carolina. We've heard whispers of Tim Scott, who's also from South Carolina. We've heard whispers of Vice President Pence. And there are a host of others. But how do you feel about the landscape of the GOP, considering that Donald Trump has already announced that he plans to run for reelection? So, yeah, so on the Mike Pence point, we uh, we were told, at least that's what Pence said last year, that by the end of last year, he and his family would have made a decision. So right. I'm not exactly sure what he's waiting on at this point. But you're absolutely right on a number of others. There's a possibility that someone like um, the governor, um, Sununu, out of New Hampshire, mm-hmm. New Hampshire could very um, easily get into the race. We're hearing Mike Pompeo yep. may get into the race. That's right. Uh, The more people in the race, that helps Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Donald Trump, unlike maybe any other candidate but Pence, Donald Trump is the only one that has the nationwide infrastructure to mount a nationwide campaign. Um, Nikki Haley does not have that. My favorite, if I had my, you know, if I had my choice of who would be president, that would be the next nominee. That would be Tim Scott. Okay. Um, Whether or not Tim Scott can win, I'm not totally convinced simply because of where the Republican Party is right now. I don't think it has anything to do with the Tim Scott. I think more people would be more comfortable in a Tim Scott as a VP role to Donald mm-hmm. Trump. Okay. I've said this. I've communicated this to his team that that would definitely be my preference. Donald Trump and Tim Scott. I think ultimately the race is Donald Trump's for the taking. The more people in, the more that actually helps him. I think that there are, you know, there's a lot of conversation about Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is very popular. I remain unconvinced that Ron DeSantis's popularity will extend beyond Florida and conservative circles. Um, I describe Ron DeSantis as a social war conservative. Those are his issues. I don't. Um, there are certain decisions that Ron DeSantis has made from, for instance, a government edict, as I call it, perspective, where he retaliated against a private business that disagreed with his politics. Mm-hmm. That's not small government conservative. It's not. So the decisions that he's making around in our schools, especially what I'm reading, his um, intentions are for at the college and university level, 
some of his involvement in what these schools are able to teach at a college level, I think that goes far beyond what any of us really consider um, social work conservative. This idea of woke, he had to stop woke bill or whatever the bill was. I think that gets into those type of cultural issues mm-hmm. um, that really resonate in conservative circles, but it doesn't when you think about independence and other people. So I think that Ron DeSantis is going to have a problem. He is in many ways Trump Mm 2.0, but as someone who voted for Donald Trump, first time I voted for a Republican was Donald Trump in 2016. And um, Hmm. I voted for Donald Trump. Would you vote for him again if he ran in 2024? Why? Why does Donald Trump have a hold on, like, you don't have any other candidates that you would vote for outside of him? Tim Scott. Right, but let's just say Donald Trump is the nominee. You still would vote for him? Like I'm I'm really trying yeah. to understand why Donald Trump has a chokehold on the GOP. Like why? Like considering all of the damage that he has done to this country, not only reputation but just policy-wise as well, and all of these looming investigations around him, there has to be if I were if I were a GOP voter, I would search high and low to try and find a better alternative candidate rather than Donald Trump. Sure. My can my my preference would be Tim Scott. Okay. I actually but you're saying Miles. if he's the nominee and I, I apologize for cutting you off, if Donald oh, Trump is the nominee, you will ultimately vote for him, vote for that ticket, whatever the ticket is. Right. I would have no problem voting for Donald Trump again in 2024. I definitely I've said that publicly. There are many things that and I think that's what I learned during the Obama years, because I started in 2008 as a, you know, the founder and CEO of Obama Nation. You could not tell me nothing about Barack Obama. I worked on his 2008 campaign. I was at the meeting, the Rules and Bylaw Committee meeting that decided um, on what would happen with Florida and Michigan's votes because Hillary Clinton contested that. Mm-hmm. And she was there with the Pumas, Party Unity, my ASS, as they called themselves. So I watched the fight in 2008, but I learned during the Obama years that, um, for one, I started to look at government and politics in a very different way because I conceded that I had a lot of expectations on Obama as not just as president of the United States, but the first black president of the United States that were just ultimately unrealistic. And I started to see that the things that really impact me on a day-to-day level happen at the local level. So all of these things that I thought that the president was going to do, but that doesn't really dictate the education in my community. It doesn't dictate the crime. It doesn't dictate property values. It doesn't dictate services. All of that stuff happens at the local. The the federal government doesn't clean your streets. That's right. That's not what the. So a lot of these things happen at the local level. And so when I started to look at the politics and I knew that Hillary Clinton was not an option ever, there was under no circumstances. So I did say in 2016 that if they nominated Hillary Clinton, um, I would have because I in the primary of 2016, I voted for Bernie Sanders. I'm really intrigued by the last comment you made from voting for Bernie Sanders in the primary for 2016 and then making this hard pivot to Donald Trump. How did you do that? One. And then two, I still feel like Donald Trump has a chokehold on the GOP. 
And here's another thing. I have not been able to ask this of a black man, a black man who identifies as Republican. But what is the appeal for black men or black Republican men to a candidate like Donald Trump? Yeah. So overall, if you think about just our politics, whether it's Donald Trump or anyone else, black men are much more likely to vote Republican than black women. So black men have always been a little different in that respect, but it's not as if there's a large number of black male Republicans out here. It's just that when you have so many, I mean, think we're the largest partisan voting bloc in U.S. history. When nine out of every 10 black person that you meet is more likely to be a Democrat, it makes it makes it seem very stark. So black men, as I said, you know, whether it's a Frederick Douglass or the many others that have came after him have always navigated. And I think that has to do with not a particular person that has mm-hmm. to do with policies because we're typically conservative. If you think about black people in general, we are typically conservative. So Therefore, you know, whether it's around our faith or whether it's around businesses or some of those other things, Second Amendment and many of those things, um, conservatives, Republicans in general, typically embrace those things while Democrats eschew them. And I think that's one of the things that attracted me because I started out, as I said, I started out as a Bernie Sanders supporter. I thought I knew that if Democrats nominated Hillary Clinton, that it was out for me. And so I started because I assumed that I was going to vote for Jeb Bush. Well, Jeb Bush was out early. Then it was Chris Christie and Donald Trump ended up being the one that I supported. But why I would support him again, because as when I was talking about the things that I recognized during the Obama, during those Obama years, the things that impact me happen at a local level. Mm -hmm. So the love affair that people like me had with Barack Obama. You know, I was the one who had the love affair. I had the thing for Barack Obama, but I realized that personalizing my relationship with someone that I would have no ever have any relationship with, it's not productive. So that's how you have those very high expectations of a president. And I'm at the point, I don't have high expectations of any politician at all, because at the end of the day, they are politicians and they will disappoint you. Mm -hmm. So there are many things that I don't like about Donald Trump that I express publicly. Mm -hmm. I'll give you another parallel. There are many things I don't like about DC Mayor Muriel Bowser. But at the same time, I'm open about the things that I've actually agreed with her on. And Mm -hmm. it's more than I actually would have thought that mm-hmm. I would agree with um, Muriel Bowser. That doesn't mean that I like everything about her, but I am willing as a Republican to say on someone like Muriel Bowser, and if you know how people don't like Muriel Bowser, she is very unpopular in some circles, but when it comes to how she's managed the city, mm-hmm. um, she's pissed a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the things that I've seen in this city over the years, I have to give her her props in the same way. There were no policies You know, there were ideological differences in the policies that Donald Trump implemented. But when you think about the things that Donald Trump did, whether it was the pilot program that he started that Joe Biden extended at NIH to make minorities um, competitive for minority grants at NIH, that was a good thing. The two million dollars that his Department of Energy gave to Spelman College to build their STEM center. 
That's a good thing. The consortium of schools, where it's Jackson State University, North Carolina A&T, where um, they're partnering with you know PWIs around the country to work on things like green, green energy, the things that Donald Trump was doing around minority business development, his second chance, this, the efforts around second chance hiring. There are a number of things again that don't necessarily impact us on a day-to-day level because the um, you know our local government does that but Donald Trump didn't pursue um, from my perspective policies that I thought that were in contradiction or that adversely impacted black people specifically that is typically how it works with um, and, and as someone who was a Democrat up until 2016 that was my frame of mind anything that Republicans did it did not matter it was always negative and it was always adversely impacting black people. And I started to see from a presidential level that, mm, no. So then I, I have a couple of questions. I do. Um, Go ahead. One, do you vote Republican at your state, at the state level? Well, I know that you happen to live in Washington, D.C., so it's hard because we don't have any real Republican um, candidates here. But in your home state of Mississippi, if you were there, would you still vote Republican? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. In Mississippi, I've had the opportunity to meet with people like my home state senator, Senator Hyde Smith. I met with Senator Ricker and some of the things that we were talking about, just honest communication, honest conversations around things that they can do. They express concerns that they've had about, you know, how they can go about talking about the things that they're doing in black communities. But, you know, at the same time, they get attacked for it. Um, because it seems as if they're pandering. I was open about the things that I want to do. And I'm working on that now to try to get more um, black students in um, schools all around Mississippi to apply for internships so they can develop the same type of pipelines that some of these PWIs have where they could go on, you know, you become an intern and then you end up becoming a, um, you know, a lobbyist or something. Those are the type of incremental steps that we um, can take. And from just my engagement with um, members of Congress on the GOP side, they have been absolutely open to these type of conversations. We may not hear that in the media, but Marsha Blackburn, I met with Senator Marsha Blackburn about the same thing, the same pitch, engaging minorities and Marsha Blackburn, they took us right outside the um, Senate chambers where Marsha Blackburn was given a floor speech. She came off the floor to meet with me and went back to vote on the thing that she was just given this speech. This is this is how the Republicans, at least as far as a political perspective, and I'll definitely say white Republicans, this is how they've engaged with me. So I don't have any negative criticisms of um, the Republican Party, although there are members of the Republican Party that I definitely do have a problem with, and I'm open about those too. Well, you know, listen, Marsha Blackburn is from Tennessee. I think you know I'm from Tennessee I find her to be problematic and I find her to be problematic because of some of the policies. So, for instance, the opioid crisis, Marsha Blackburn um, voted against making it harder to access opioids in our state. And when she was a state representative, um, you know, the the jurisdiction that she was over um, had a high number of um, opioid prescriptions, and that's just that's just one example. And I don't want to make this a, a, a case against Marsha. But when I think about um, some of the policies that Democrats have put up 
and that Republicans have voted against that would help Republican constituents as well. Those are the things that really give me pause and give me concern. And so I know that you frame your conversation around how Republicans can help the black community. And I agree. Listen, you know, under President Trump, there was an increase in HBCU funding. I'm an HBCU graduate, so I can appreciate that. But I also cannot appreciate, you know, what's what happened at the border, what has what has happened at the border under his leadership. I also don't appreciate the the Muslim ban that he instituted immediately when he got into office. I think that that's sending the wrong signal. I don't appreciate the way or the way that he did not handle COVID because that affected that that negatively affected black and brown people. Now, it did affect white people as well. But I think, you know, in the beginning, when we did not know all of the things getting on TV, telling people that it wasn't real, singling out um, Chinese people, singling out a virus from Asia or from China, those are um, things that are not helpful when we think about what's happened across this country with attacks on people of color. When I think about the George Floyd and policing act that was not passed. And that's something that Senator Tim Scott and Senator Cory Booker attempted to co-champion. Those things were still under the Trump presidency. And so, yes, there are, there are things that both Republican and democratic presidents have done that have been good. And there are things that, that have not been good as well. And so I think, is my life better off under a Republican president or a Democratic president? I always feel or I have felt rather that it has been under a Democratic president. And so those are just some of the things that I find challenging when I hear how his policies have directly impacted my black life. And so I'm not in college anymore. So that, you know, the the HBCU HBCU funding, that's great. But then when you see Republicans voting against student loan forgiveness, that's challenging to see. Because, again, that's not something that's just going to help Democrats. It's going to help all constituents across this country. Um, those are things when I see, you know, people saying that they don't want to cap insulin. That's something that that's not partisan. That's something that would affect and help millions of Americans across this country. When I see people complaining about, you know, child tax credits, again, those things are not partisan things. Those are things that would help any constituent, regardless of how he or she or they identify in this country. And time and time again, we see Republicans complaining about budgets. And yet there's this, there's always this increased budget for, for defense, for wars, for all of these things that, again, that, that doesn't necessarily affect our day to day lives. But some of these um, pocketbook or social programs, they do. And when we go back to the states and look at our state legislatures, like a state like where I'm from in Tennessee, our state legislature, our governor over and over again continues to refuse Medicaid funding or expand Medicaid that would help all Tennesseans across the state. So, again, not a partisan issue, but something that is challenging that I continue to see Republicans who are elected at the state level vote against. And so I like that we're having a conversation that is 
rooted in policy, but we begin with an emotional, you know, how we feel about Donald Trump, how we feel about these various candidates. But those are some of the things that I would push back on when I when you when you say, how has it affected my day to day black life? Well, sure. Um, some of those things are ideological, cultural differences between the parties, you know, conservative versus um, liberal. You know, when you talk about things so the, like the issue at the border, I actually I'm perfectly fine with Donald Trump's position um, on the border. Democrats, ironically, the border wall construction that they supported when right before Donald Trump was in office under the Obama administration, they decided when Donald Trump decided you to got in office, they were no longer going to support border walls because border walls became a symbol of xenophobia or racism or whatever it is that you want to call it. But it is a matter of fact that Democrats and Obama approved border wall funding. So it's it hasn't always been a thing. I think a lot of this stuff, they're, uh, they're tribal arguments on the issue of police reform. Well, we know what happened with police reform, because when um, the Republican led by Tim Scott introduced the GOP's version of police reform, Democrats filibustered that. Democrats who are That's concerned true. about black people, who are in love with black people and have the concerns for black people, they filibustered it. And so they didn't allow that bill to go through. Things that Donald Trump did around um, paid parental leave, that was something that was a huge deal that he fought for. Actually, Ivanka was one of the ones who did it. I think the things that Donald Trump did around um, you know, investing in our charter schools. Obviously, there's a left versus right debate when it comes to charter schools because people don't feel as if they feel as if charter schools take away funding from, you know, public schools. And so my position is, is that I think an all hands on deck approach is necessary. But again, that is a difference between the two parties. What Donald Trump's federal government did in response to COVID, I'm perfectly fine with that. We know the converse, the um, discussions that Fauci had initially about not why we shouldn't wear masks, why COVID uh, wasn't a huge deal. These are things that Fauci himself said. And as we learned in time, we changed. Donald Trump's personal response to COVID was problematic. I don't have a problem with the federal government's response because the federal government, the reason that D.C., got the vaccine here in Ward 8 by the second week of January 2021 before Donald Trump left office, before Joe Biden got in office, is because our mayor, Muriel Bowser, had worked with the Trump administrations mm -hmm. to make sure that that vaccine was available in this ward. I was on the conversations with um, the VP, the Surgeon General, and many others in the Trump administration that they had those regular calls talking about the things that they were going to do. That's how initially when the vaccine, the vaccine was not available in hospitals. They had decided early on that they needed to make sure that they're at places like CVS and Walgreens because people like us have easier access to those um, you know, CBS than we do a hospital. Those are deliberate decisions that were made during the era of COVID. So again, his personal response, spending an hour arguing with Jim Acosta and going back and forth with Yanish, all of those things were absolutely bad. And I think that ultimately is what ended Donald Trump's term as president is that his personal response to COVID, not the government's response, because it's, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And the notion that many people would have done something differently when we were faced with a once in a lifetime pandemic, there's a lot of people say, oh, well, we should have done this or we should have done that. No one was prepared for our shelves being empty, not being able to buy tissue, right. not being able to buy sanitizer, bleach. Like these were real things happening. 
And again, Donald Trump spent a, the early part of that talking, fighting with reporters and press. Yeah, he did. I mean, listen, I think we could literally go back and forth about things he did right, things he did wrong. Right. I just wanted to get to another level of understanding about your support for him, not necessarily the GOP, but your support for him. Um, and. Suffice to say, this has been a great conversation and <laughs> I do appreciate you. And I think yeah. we I think we need to have another one, though. Like this isn't the end, Malik. So yeah. I hope you don't think sure. that this was the first and only conversation. I think we need to, you know, because obviously, like I want to talk to people who listen and think like me. But also I, I want to expand our listeners viewpoint. And I appreciate you coming on us having a very civil conversation. And we disagree, right? I, I'm not a Donald Trump supporter fan. I don't like him at all. But I can at least have a conversation with you about your position on him and your support. And, and on this issue of Donald Trump and his loyal fan base, I'm saying this from the perspective of someone who, again, was the founder and CEO of Obama Nation. Yeah. So no one can tell Crazy. me about having fawning fans. <laughs> Because I was there with okay. Obama. This is, I'm not there with Trump. Like, I don't like fawn over him because I just, I'm no longer doing that with politicians nowadays. But the diehards, even now, say something in the in, in certain rooms about Barack Obama if you want to. <laughs> yeah. They're going to have something to say back. Well, Malik, thank you so much again. Malik Abdul, we've been talking with Malik Abdul. He is a radio host and a GOP strategist really appreciate your time today and look forward to having you back on sure i hope you enjoyed this episode of the crystal night show brought to you by newsweek the best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on apple itunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to the crystal night show being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. <laughs> It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.